Blog Talk Radio. Hello again, amazing hempsters. Welcome to another hempspirational hemp episode of Hemp Aware Radio. Tyler Hemp here, your hemp hemp entrepreneurial host. I know that's a mouthful, <laughs> but it doesn't stop. I'm here to hemp power and hemp educate your hemposphere because it's important. And as you know, we love to focus on food, shelter, clothing, helping solve the world's most basic fundamental human needs with hemp and hemp education. And uh, so I'm really excited that you're here to, to join me on this brief yet powerful educational hemp episode. Uh, investing in your education and investing in hemp, I believe, are two commendable things that you can be doing for yourself and the planet. And if you're a Texas farmer or an entrepreneur in the Texas state, or even if you're outside of the state of Texas and maybe have some interest there, I believe you're going to uh, appreciate this brief yet powerful conversation that I'm about to have with Zachary Maxwell of Texas Hemp Growers Association. Uh, it's a newly formed association designed to support hemp farmers to succeed with hemp. And uh, you can learn more about them on their website, hemptx.org. And so I'm really excited to get into some nitty gritty details about what they're doing to, to help the marketplace there and, and to really support the farmers because Right now, that's what this is about. It's, it's really on the ground level, supporting our farmers to dial in their supply chains, get them uh, uh, contracts to sell their seed and their fiber or their flowers. And so I'm really excited to have Zach on the show. Zachary, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background and your team and what inspired you to get into the hemp industry to begin with. Sure. Well, let me start with the last part of that question, um, which was the inspiration to get involved. Um, several years ago, my dad, uh, uh, Perry Maxwell, uh, had an issue with his uh, legs where he had uh, chronic neuropathy, um, and there was a very specific name for what he was suffering from, but it it really had him in a position where uh, he didn't really have many options, and at the time, the option uh, of choice, which I think it was an option for a lot of people in the country, uh, was opioid medication. And mm-hmm. um, not going into to specific detail, but you know, as as I'm sure a lot of families across the country have dealt with, uh, those opioids created a severe medical issue uh, there within our family. Uh, and in the aftermath of it all, uh, the, the foot neuropathy wasn't gone, but my dad did not want to stay on the opioids. And one of the uh, answers that came about uh, around this time was CBD oil. And uh, myself and, and some of my friends, my dad, were um, you know, basically going to him and saying, look, there's a, an opportunity here with this CBD to, to potentially not cure you, but but it could potentially alleviate your symptoms and, and help you uh, help you deal with, with the transition off of opioids. And uh, what we found was incredible results. Uh, and being able to uh, see my dad live again, uh, and I say live in the sense that, mm. you know, a lot of people can't imagine the idea of, of getting a phone call from their dad crying, saying he just wants his legs sawed off or he just wants, you know, to die because he doesn't mm. want to deal with that pain anymore. And so being able to see that change in him was in and of itself uh, an inspiration into the business. Uh, and then uh, actually last year in April, um, I lost my dad unexpectedly. Uh, mm. and, and that actually 
that really compelled me into what I'm doing today, which was I felt that in order to honor my dad uh, and, and, you know, his life was to go out there and help educate growers, uh, enthusiasts, business-minded folks that want to get in on the industry about where the opportunities are and how this product works, how it functions, how to grow it, what to look out for, the pitfalls, the traps, the opportunities, um, you know, and, and just being able to go out there and share that message, I, I really feel like was was an opportunity and still is an opportunity to honor my dad and, and who he was and what he stood for. And, and really this, this helped him out. And, and I saw it with my own eyes. So, um, you know, that was the inspiration to really get out there, get started. I saw issues in the industry uh, of farmers being burnt on bad seed genetics uh, or they were going into the ground with plants with maybe not the right approach and they were losing on it. Uh, and when I saw this stuff going on, I saw an immediate opportunity to help farmers in Texas understand where the barriers are and how to potentially avoid them. You know, we expect some farmers this year are probably going to still run into mistakes, but my hope is that by starting Texas Hemp Growers, an organization that is about the education and the communication and networking and the ability to connect the pieces of an otherwise fragmented industry together, that's our, that's our overall goal. And, of course, you know probably better than anybody that that, that is a, a large, very lofty goal, and mm-hmm. uh, we're working right now uh, with, with growers across the state to really help them realize their, uh, their potential in this industry. So, um, you know, that's where we come from and it's been a real blessing. Our organization now is uh, closing in very quickly on 200 members. Uh, we've been able to do this in about seven months. And so, uh, being able to travel across the whole entire state, uh, every corner, all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley, up to Amarillo, over to El Paso, out to East Texas, and visit and meet with all these farmers across the spectrum was, was just really a treat and something that, uh, uh, that, that I feel um, was necessary to get folks on the right track uh, this year in Texas so that, you know, they don't ultimately lose everything that they invest. They hopefully get that return back this year. That's fantastic. And that's a very inspiring story. And I'm so honored that we can have you on our platform to help move forward with, with this movement and with, uh, you know, in memory of, of your father, Perry, that, that we can, you know, help others that may be struggling with, with issues and whether it's their health or financially. I mean, obviously we're in a completely different world nowadays, but we're, I think it's essential that we come together. And, and so an organization such as, as yours will be a, a a platform for others to learn from to possibly duplicate what you're doing. And so thank you so much for doing the legwork and getting boots on the ground and connecting with these farmers. And, um, and so that kind of brings me to the next question. You know, you're obviously creating this network and helping get the right information to the right people at the right time, uh, specifically these growers and, and how to grow and what to grow and when to grow and just the most important information they need to succeed in the hemp world. And so with that said, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, you have this network. Um, what are some of the major goals and intentions you have moving forward with Texas hemp growers? Sure. So, 
you know, the first goal is, is really the connection. Uh, you know, the farmers have to be connected with processors, the processors to manufacturers, manufacturers to retailers, retailers to consumers. And at every stage, there uh, is education, a process uh, to really be relayed out to the different segments of the market. And so for us, uh, we obviously want to expand. We felt like we got a lot of great feedback. I felt like we got a lot of great feedback uh, from the uh, from the classes that uh, that uh, we did throughout this state. And so being able to kind of expand on that more in order to guide people towards best practices, um, you know, is is a major goal of ours. And so we're working on on some projects. We just did a big overhaul of our website uh, that that actually. Uh, it turns it into a, really a hemp social platform, a social networking mm -hmm. platform. And we did this because we actually want our members and really non-members that just join for free can, can get on there and, and start communicating with each other, which is a huge uh, step forward because most of those networks really don't exist outside of just, say, Facebook. And mm -hmm. so being able to which create – Which we all know is – yeah. Well, yeah, Facebook, Facebook is completely Facebook yeah, very, banning uh, and uh, mm -hmm. banning the groups. I've I've heard about it, and I'm very concerned. Obviously, um, uh, having all of our eggs in a basket that we don't at least get to carry, and so yeah. by migrating um, that audience, and and we're you know it's going to be a long time process, a constant marketing process for us to really push people into to making sure they're using our website. But we feel like we can create an ecosystem there that will eventually not only be a pool for education and communication, but then potentially the ability to uh, have a, a marketplace where folks can actually bring their products to market right there on our website and exchange with other members and vendors. I see a, a vision for that. But I also see a, a larger vision, too, in that we also have to make sure the laws stay fair to growers and to retailers and to consumers. And so mm -hmm. the second thing that we really focus on, and, and you're going to start seeing a lot of this come out of, our, uh, out of our association here over the next few weeks, is that we want to make sure laws stay favorable to everybody. And right now, one mm -hmm. of the things we're facing in Texas is the prospect of a retail flower ban. Uh, coming out mm. of the Department of State Health Services. And, and we obviously want to take a role there in fighting that and protecting our members and their ability to monetize this crop to its fullest potential. And so whether that means, uh, you know, a, a tersely worded letter or perhaps a tersely worded lawsuit, uh, we're weighing mm -hmm. our options uh, in order to make sure that we keep this environment favorable and open uh, uh, to everybody. And then, you know, lastly, we also just want to be a conduit for success. And, and that's why I, I mean, I keep my cell phone on our, on our website uh, mm -hmm. and it doesn't ring enough. My opinion mm -hmm. of it is, is like, you know, I'll keep that on there until my phone is ringing 24 seven. And then mm -hmm. maybe it's time to take that down and replace mm -hmm. it, you know, but, but um, the point is, is that I keep myself open and accessible to everybody, uh, not just in our membership, but even outside of our membership. I have people who will call mm -hmm. me asking questions. And for me, I feel like Texas Hemp Growers, if we can just help give somebody the, the right information, it, it, I, I cannot even begin to tell you how many growers I've talked with this season that come to me wanting to do 10 acres and we talk them down to maybe two. 
or three mm-hmm. because we're trying to dial back their expectations and make them understand that, look, this, this industry is not as easy. It's not just a, a cakewalk. Like some folks, I just got done reading an article right before I got on here. I haven't even shared it yet out there, but it, it's, it's an absolute testament to the difficulties that some farmers in other states are facing that are being told to grow large, large acreage. And so yeah. if we can be a conduit for that success and help growers make the right choices uh, as they move ahead, uh, I feel like, uh, you know, we're, we're really servicing this state and really our farmers in a way that nobody else will. Most certainly. Well, I, that's amazing. So yeah, you, you've already put together these classes. You've traveled the state. You're helping with guiding people toward best practices uh, and, and connecting the supply chain really keeping the farmers at, at, at the heart of the matter, supporting, making sure that it's worth it for our farmers, but that they have their supply chain dialed in. So it sounds like you're doing some really great work. Um, and incidentally, isn't it true that Texas just established their rules and regulations like at the end of 2019 or possibly even this year? So it's, it's a brand new uh, accepted um, crop to be grown, correct? <clears throat> Yes, sir. Yeah, they just actually uh, about, well, I say just actually, it was really back at the end of March, we started seeing, uh, beginning of April, I think we started seeing licenses uh, issued. Okay. So brand new state online. Um, you know, funny thing about it, most people don't even know how I got my, my start really in the state was that I, I literally went out and started knocking on the doors of major row crop farmers in the panhandle, just mm. knocking on the doors. I just show up with a little little uh, a sample mm. uh, sheet of hemp fiber and herds. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I was talking to some major producers up in the uh, Hereford and Vega areas um, and, and kind of just, you know, say, hey, have you heard about this? This was eight months ago, maybe nine mm-hmm. months ago by this point that I'm out there in the panhandle knocking on doors just like, you know, did you know? that this is coming down the pipeline. And yeah. um, it was really fun just to, to, you know, see that and be a part of, of kind of that beginning uh, inspiration for farmers to see the opportunity. How cool. So with that said, I mean, obviously there's, there's huge potential, not just for Texas farmers, but for farmers across the country to get in on this hemp industry boom that, that is in our near future. But what are some of the major hurdles or, or challenges that farmers are facing uh, now that they're getting into the industry? Obviously, you've been encouraging them to scale back a little bit, maybe start with smaller acreage, just knowing that there are these challenges that they um, are inevitably going to be facing. What what are some of those hurdles or challenges, if we could expand on that? Sure. Well, I think there's probably two or maybe three hurdles that really stand out to me in in considering the question. Total THC compliance is something that really concerns me. Uh, this is mm-hmm. where the uh, 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 the regulators are looking at not only the Delta Nine makeup of that plant, but also the uh, the THC acid uh, which exists mm-hmm. on the plant before you you heat it up and and convert it. And so. Uh, what this translates to uh, in basic terms is that our growers have to accept the idea that they're not going to be able to grow their plants to the full term. Uh, most of these uh, operations, uh, uh, you know, in Colorado or Oregon, for example, where they're growing these plants to seven, eight weeks into flower, 
we're not going to be able to do that here in Texas or else we're going to be seeing a lot of crops get destroyed. And so um, one of those hurdles we really tell people to focus on is make sure you have a testing regimen in play that allows you to test that crop every week of flower so that when you hit that fourth or fifth week, you really need to know where your numbers are because you very well as a grower may be knocking on the door of non-compliance. And we, we don't want anybody to have to just, to destroy a crop. And I think that that's going to trip a lot of first time growers up. And um, I'm not looking forward to that, that hurdle. Uh, the other yeah. hurdle is the, is, is the buyer side of all this, you know, once again, reading articles and talking to retailers and brokers in this industry, what I'm hearing right now is that the biomass market is flooded. It is not only flooded, but thanks to this coronavirus thing, it's backlogged. So you have retailers now that are seeing their business be cut down 30, 40, 50%, maybe even more in most cases, uh, means that all of that trickles back into the wholesale and the processing environment because less of the oils, less of the isolates are actually being put into products and sold. And so um, I, I get concerned that there are overzealous growers, even though we told folks in our, in our class, you know, be very careful 10 acres or less if you're if you're professional than 20 acres or less but the reality is i'm hearing these stories that there's apparently groups that are planning to grow a thousand acres three thousand acres in some cases and i'm just going whoa uh i think that uh i think maybe there's a misunderstanding of of how much of this is is being sold on the market so um mm -hmm. that's another hurdle that really stands out and i'm sure i could think of some others uh, you know, just the general lack of planting knowledge uh, uh, mm -hmm. out there, the, the diverse climate that we have in Texas. We have every type of climate and, and practically every type of elevation in Texas, mm -hmm. from, from high humidity down to bone dry up in 7,000, 8,000 feet. So mm -hmm. uh, for us, we, we cannot just sit here and pretend that, okay, we're just going to tell every single farmer to grow it the exact same way and, and it's all going to come yeah. out the same. So exactly. there's obviously those hurdles as well, which those hurdles, my opinion of that is that all has to be learned as far as just the, the, the growing and how to do it well and how to do it right. I think a lot of growers and farmers are up to that task and up to that challenge. But if the, if the buyer markets don't materialize uh, and then you have a bunch of farmers potentially burning up their crop this year or having to plow it into the ground, that's going to discourage future growth in the industry. And so that's why we tell our guys, start small, you know, 10 acres or less. We really don't have that many folks we're working with that are doing more than five acres, believe it or not. Most of mm -hmm. our growers are doing five acres or less. So, and, uh, mm -hmm. and I just think it's a safe bet this year. Because I think that's a major yeah. hurdle to overcome, and being able to just move some high-grade filled, smokable flour to market, you're going to have a lot easier time moving that this year than you are biomass. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so having a more boutique niche product where you're growing a very specific variety or, or strain of hemp uh, that produces a, a plethora of cannabinoid. Uh, combinations or an entourage kind of effect and, and how you grow it, how you process it kind of being unique in the industry sounds like what most of these farmers are, are going to need to do um, being that they're on a small scale. Um, so with, with that said, it sounds like most of the farmers and correct me if I'm wrong, 
are getting into the CBD side of things. Um, what would you say the ratio is of farmers that are interested in growing for fiber or seed versus those that are wanting to grow for flour? And is that changing or what do you see into the future? Obviously, once we get the infrastructure for processing and manufacturing dialed in, because um, obviously there's more infrastructure right now for processing hemp flour than there is for hemp fiber and seed at the moment. So what is your take on that? Correct. So we actually talked about this throughout our, our, our classes we did um, throughout the state there, which is that the fiber and grain markets are underdeveloped. And if you look back in time and you look back in history, what you actually find is that hemp fiber basically was replaced by synthetic fibers. It wasn't really the, the Controlled Substances Act that knocked it offline. Hemp fiber died really back in the mid 50s, late 50s. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we look at that, we have to acknowledge this reality, which is that there is a free market um, uh, uh, part to the whole equation that is keeping hemp fiber from being really that industrial application that farmers can start planting thousands of acres of. Because of that, it's, you don't have the, the fiber processors out there. Uh, there's huge inconsistencies when we're dealing with, with growing hemp fiber. Um, not only that, the profit margins are, are, you know, you might as well grow corn. You might as well grow wheat. So mm-hmm. um, it, at the end of the day, there's a lot of infrastructure that has to be in play for, for fiber to actually be something that, that somebody should really grow. Um, now, with all that said, there is talk of a company – um, called Panda Biotech that has been talking about building the world's largest hemp decorticator here in Texas. Um, you know, whether or not that materializes is going to be obviously in the air uh, because one time this company came out and claimed they were building a facility in shallow water and well, and then suddenly that fell through. And so I think the, the fiber and the gray market and really specifically to your question of ratio First of all, 100% of the persons we're working with are growing for flour. They're growing for mm-hmm. CBD. Uh, I had one person that we were talking with about fiber and grain, and then when we started looking at the map and we started realizing, you know, there's no processing in your area, you can only take those hemp fiber stocks, I think it's 80 miles before they're, they're not even profitable anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's huge, huge um, – uh, kinks in the in the supply chain that have to be worked out, and I actually tell people uh, that I don't know that those kinks will be worked out without some kind of government intervention. Uh, hmm. uh, you know, when when we talk about a government intervention, I'm talking about like subsidies uh, to plant mm-hmm. it because it's considered maybe a more environmentally friendly crop. Uh, you know, there's obviously talk about biofuels. Uh, the ability to take these these stocks and turn them into some sort of fuel or even cellulose extraction for plastics. Well, let's just take mm-hmm. that one, right? Everybody always talks about hemp plastics could be the next big thing is, is what they say. Well, it's not that you can't make hemp plastic. It's that the, uh, the process of making hemp plastics is considerably more expensive than taking petroleum and making mm-hmm. plastics. So if 
a company is going to make the choice to switch a their packaging to hemp plastics, they're they're quite frankly going to have to make a choice to actually uh, increase the price of their product. And most mm-hmm. companies don't care to do that, right? Companies are always looking for the the, the cheapest, most free market capitalist uh, approach to it. That's why I say, and I'm by the way, I'm I'm a Milton Friedman capitalist, so I don't even agree with government intervention. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Um, I think that maybe within five to ten years, you may see somewhat of an environmentalist push in the government to move farmers into growing hemp for the purpose of biofuels. And um, Hmm. if and when that happens, I don't think you'll have any problem finding farmers to grow it. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. plenty of row crop farmers out there with combines and and things that, that they have the capacity and the knowledge to do it. And I think when the time comes, it won't even be a challenge pulling those guys online for now. The resurgence in hemp is happening because of its medicinal value, and we cannot mm-hmm. ignore that reality. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, if it was not for the ability for CBD to help people with epilepsy, intractable epilepsy, you would not have seen this giant push by politicians to pass legislation to make it legalized. And mm-hmm. so uh, to try to mislead farmers into thinking that there's giant fiber markets and grain markets that are readily available to the American farmer, I think is um, it's just not there yet. And I hope right. at some point it will materialize. Uh, but right now our focus and, and all of our growers understand that they just understand that those things have to, you need to see those processors with your own eyes before you commit to putting uh, fiber into the ground or else you might as well just get ready to plow it back in. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's very well said. And I appreciate your insights on that. Cause it's, I do believe that there is huge potential still for the construction industry and the bioplastics industry. But as you said, the entry level, uh, you know, price point to get into this and, and the level of processing that's re- processing that's required. I mean, we're in the, tens of millions of dollars for, you know, paper mills and, and spinning fiber mills uh, for fabrics and, and uh, you know, these biocomposites. So, and there's uh, and a severe inconsistency issue on fiber. So when right. we even talk about trying to spin hemp fiber into clothing or anything, I mean, just go out there online. You'll find plenty of articles about other fiber facilities trying to nail down that consistency issue. And I always tell people yeah. that's the billion-dollar question. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody gets that that fiber, that field reading process down to a science, to a machine science where it can be industrial scale, you know, scaled up to an industrial size. Then then by God, hemp fibers coming coming to get you, Cotton. Yeah, exactly. Well, man, this has been a great hemp episode. I We just have two more minutes left. So to kind of wrap it up, I'm curious, what, what are some of your recommendations to the farmers that you're working with or just farmers across the world or country that are wanting to enter into the hemp industry? What are some of the some of the recommendations or, or things that you're you know mentioning for them to look out for or to be prepared for if they do want to enter? Well, you know, we talked about some of those earlier and the hurdles. And, and once again, I just want to restress that that knowing where it's going to go at the end of harvest is, is very important. Um, making sure that there's a buyer lined up. 
Uh, I think that this year, the smokable flower market is going to be a much easier market for growers to get into. Um, there's a demand for it. Uh, uh, the ability, we talked, uh, we talk growers sometimes out of doing outdoor grows and instead of investing their money into building greenhouses in order to produce a high grade smokable flower. So, you know, the ability to, to find that boutique niche, that organic grade niche that simply can't be replicated at scale, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's a, that's a huge demand market right now. And I think that uh, uh, getting in there is not a bad approach. Uh, on the biomass side, I'd say just, just have ducks in the row. I mean, at the end of the day, processors are still coming online very slowly. Rules haven't even been fully adopted yet. Uh, for processing and, and biomass extraction. And so uh, uh, be careful. If somebody's coming out there and telling you, you know, hey, grow a thousand acres of this or grow 3,000 acres of this, boy, I hope everything's lined up. And I hope mm -hmm. that contract is solid and in ink and protects you, the farmer. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, personally, speaking from experience right here, right now, I'm having a hell of a time finding people to commit to biomass contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the market is, is drastically oversaturated uh, on that front. And so just make sure that you have those ducks in a row and line them up so that you're at least breaking even or, or yeah. hopefully making a profit so that you want to come back and do it again so that we can all grow this industry to what it really can be, which is that full-on industrial crop potential replace a lot of things right now that that are not great for the planet and so i'm really looking forward to that and i hope farmers will will, will take that advice to heart and and uh and run with it right like on i really appreciate your insights and so thankful that you're out there in the spirit of of your dad perry to to move this forward and help others um whether growers or or in other parts of the supply chain uh check out hemp tx.org everyone feel free to share this hemp episode uh, send us an email support at hempaware.com if you uh, have any ideas on what you want to hear about next and I look forward to having you on the show in the near future and working with you on making this hemp and Zachary thank you again so much for being on the show thanks Tyler bye everyone have a great day see you on the next hemp episode of hemp aware radio peace out